0: The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to UUSF.org. I have a distinct memory from my time during the pandemic. I did a lot of walking during that time. Walking gave me an ability to explore the world outside of my walls, of my home. It opened up possibilities of connection with family members when they wanted to join me, and it gave me an opportunity to get away from family members when I needed to. Walking helped clear my head and kept me grounded. And it was not the walking of pre-pandemic times with people bustling about on the paths or on the streets or in the neighborhoods, there was no one around. No one. Which is why this memory stands out to me of that time. I was walking up the hill near my house, and I was coming around the corner, and I saw someone. and I freaked out. Normally I would like wave or nod or make some kind of acknowledgement, but I freaked out and I put my head down and I crossed the street and I hurried past and I think I even held my breath, which is hard to do when you're walking uphill. And I remember passing that person and having that reaction and I remember my heart sinking thinking, oh my goodness, is this what our world's going to be like? Are we going to be afraid of each other going forward? How in the world are we going to recover from this? I know I'm not alone in asking these questions during the pandemic. It may have been a different experience that triggered you but all of us have asked similar questions. What just happened? How are we going to recover? Some would say we're in the midst of recovering and starting to take some steps forward into normalcy, whatever that is. However, as we come back to social settings, I know I find myself doing a bit of a dance. Do I shake hands? Do I fist bump? Do I do my elbow? Do I hug? Do I keep my hands at my side? It feels like a chicken dance. Also, do I remember how to talk to multiple people who are standing in front of me in a group that aren't on screen? And I find myself distracted by what I call the zoom effect. See, we had these lovely screens that showed us, if we had our self-view on, we showed us what our facial expressions were, what our hair looked like, what our teeth, if they were clean. We had that mirrored in front of us so we could see what we were projecting out into the world. We don't have that anymore. Doesn't it feel a little vulnerable? A little unsettling? We have to rely on each other again to show us how we're we're showing up. That's kind of scary. And what about the exhaustion of just being around a bunch of people again? Being an an introvert, not an extrovert, being an introvert, I know I need a lot of time after being amongst people to kind of recharge. But I'm talking to some of our extroverts and those people that balance that line between introvert and extrovert, and they're starting to wonder, why am I so exhausted at the end of the day? And I'm wondering, I'm like, well, maybe it's because you're around a bunch of people and you haven't had that. It's not as easy to excuse ourselves when we're talking to others in front of us. We don't have a doorbell we can go answer or a child that might need us. And we can't just close our eyes to turn off our video. That would be rude. Many of us are starting to travel again, remembering the, the fun of it, but also, the chore of it. Some of us are experiencing our partners traveling for the first time and being home alone in our houses, wondering, oh, this is what this feels like. And along with travel, families are experiencing their calendars fill up with lessons, homework, sports, school events. They are realizing, and all of a sudden, in this time when they thought they wanted to be so intentional about rebuilding their calendars, this tsunami of events that have crashed onto their calendars. And looking at those schedules add to the feelings of exhaustion and not being able to take a breath. This is only a small slice of that possible recovery that we're experiencing right now. And I'm wondering in that small slice of recovery, the social awkwardness, the vulnerability of showing up, the exhaustion of being present, the unexpected full full calendar, I'm wondering, by show of hands, how many of you resonate with just this small slice? And if you're virtual, you can put up your hand or put the icon, icon up. Keep them up, and I want you to look around and see who has their hands raised if you're, you're experiencing this small slice. OK, you can put your hands down. So keep that in mind, and I'll come back to it. This last year, I worked as a chaplain resident at UCSF Children's, Benioff Children's Hospital. I had two main jobs, one meet people where they are, and two, help normalize people's experience. The first part of my job, meet people where they are, might seem pretty simple. The idea is to walk into a room and encounter a patient and or family without any assumptions, being open to their experience, and accessing what they need right at that moment. The funny thing is, we as human beings make assumptions about people and places and things all the time. And we try to rely on our previous experience to inform how we're going to show up when we walk in a room, when we greet each other. Before I left the position, I trained the incoming chaplain residents, and I remember getting ready to visit a patient with one of the residents, and the resident was we, well, I met with this person yesterday and they were worried about this and this and this. And how do I make sure that I like, touch on those things when we go in the room? And I said, well, let's take a breath and let's, let's go into the room and see. And, and they were like this. And we walk in the room and the patient had completely different ideas, completely different expectations, completely different news. And we walked out. And they said, Oh, okay, that's what meeting people where they are means. Before I left the position, I remembered to myself. That the experience of this idea of meeting people where they are over the past year, it did not matter how much information I had or how many times I had met with that patient. It could be months that I met with that patient. And no matter how many times I knew them or met with them or read their chart or did any kind of preparation, no matter what I did when I walked in that room and what I prepared, it did not prepare me for what I encountered. Now, in the hospital setting, it's probably pretty much in our faces all the time that we know people's uh, conditions and and lives change from moment to moment. But what about in our daily one-on-one with each other or our daily interactions with each other outside of the hospital? I remember when I was serving my previous congregation, getting a phone call from one of our elders. I was heightened in my awareness of this elder because the, there were life challenges they were facing. And I immediately had the response that the call was a pastoral concern and that something had happened to them or their partner, which is why it completely caught me off surprise when they had called to talk about an offering that, they had, that we had collected and how they disagreed with what we, were, what we were trying to promote. And I had to take a few breaths and kind of calm myself down and realize, okay, I need to switch switch where I'm at here so I can meet this person where they are. I'm curious how many of you have had a similar experience of thinking you're going to meet or talk to someone for one thing and it ends up being something else. Or you're having a discussion with someone and you can tell they're distracted or their emotions are heightened and you don't know exactly why. Have you had that experience? Yeah, look around. Hold on to that. The second part of my job as a chaplain resident was to normalize people's experience. When people are in the midst of crisis and trauma, they can feel isolated and lonely. It was my job to help them find ways their experience connected to others. I did this by naming and affirming the emotions they were feeling, especially where there might be multiple feelings in a situation. To know that you can feel joy, anger, and sadness all at the same time, all at the same time, and that others have felt those emotions all at the same time as well is a huge comfort. We, we isolate our feelings sometimes even, so to know that those can all be present can be a stabilizer in somebody's life. Another way I normalized people's experience was to share a similar experience, experience with them to help them understand they're not alone and there are others that can help support them. The intensive care nursery held 53 beds. This was just the nursery. 53 beds, and most of the time I was there in the year, all of them were full. I encountered many parents, first-time parents, as well as parents who had multiple children. And all of them were doubting themselves, doubting that they could care for their babies, One way I was able to connect and help normalize their experience was to share my experience of my second child being hospitalized after the first week of his life. I knew what it was like to watch medical personnel work on him when I couldn't get to him. I knew what it felt like to question whether I had a clue that I even knew how to take care of him anymore. I knew the experience of being scared hormonal, and sleep-deprived while wondering if he was going to be okay. By sharing this story and normalizing the experience and the emotions, I could affirm to parents that they do know what they are doing, that they are good parents, that they did nothing wrong, and especially that they're not alone in their experience. How many of you know the comfort it brings when you are not alone in your experience? Look around. So we have done a little bit of this in normalizing our experience throughout the sermon today. We have seen by our raised hands how many of us are experiencing the pandemic recovery how many of us have made assumptions about others, and how many of us have found comfort in shared experiences. When I asked the question, are we normal, I was not asking in a way to create a standard of what it means to be human, or a way to compare ourselves to each other. Instead, I was pointing at ways we have common experiences that can help us find comfort with each other, that can help us find connection, and then truly, truly appreciate our uniqueness. Because we know that although experiences can be common, they are not the same. And each of us holds a unique perspective of that common experience, as we heard in Mari's reflection today. When we start to share those unique perspectives, we allow ourselves to open up to other ways of responding, of other ways of being in that common experience. This ability to normalize our experiences and name them with each other is a cornerstone in building our Lifespan Faith Development Program. By Lifespan Faith Development, I mean faith development from birth to death. And those two bookends right there, birth and death, whether we want to admit it or not, are or will be common, a common human experience amongst us. We are all born, however we all have unique perspectives and stories about our birth. Imagine, Just look at all the people in this room, the people virtually, those unique perspectives on that one event in life. One event. How rich. We all have a common experience of knowing one day we will die. And we all have our own unique perspective of how we feel about it our own experiences of how we've already encountered it. There's this joke about a preacher up in the pulpit preaching and his punchline is, each member in this congregation will die. And he looks down in the front pew and there's a man smiling and nodding his head And the preacher shakes his head and goes, each member in this congregation will die. And the person's nodding and smiling. And after the service, the preacher goes up to the man and goes, okay, I said each member in this congregation will die and you kept nodding and smiling. And the man said, well, I'm not a member of the congregation. How lovely to, to have that perspective, right? <laughs> Another common experience we hold is that we like to laugh. We like to have fun. We like to feel joy. And we all have our unique perspectives of, on what is funny and what is not. Using this as a cornerstone to lifespan faith development, we can build programming that meets people where they are, in that unique life experience they have, and build a common human experience that promotes a sense of belonging, which is really what we all want to feel. We want to feel we belong. And if we can feel we have a place in a shared community of belonging, then we can do the hard work of exploring racial equity, of looking at reproductive freedom, and of addressing the injustices of the world. We can recognize by being grounded in the common experience with unique perspectives that we have a beautiful opportunity to learn and grow from each other as we journey through life, from birth, to death, and we can see each other truly as whole and holy beings. One instance of this, we all know that we experience living in a racialized society, and each of us carry a unique perspective of how it has shaped us and how that has harmed us. We can use that foundation to help us center Enter into the work of living into our eighth principle and know that this foundation to our programming is something for all ages to know, for all ages to explore. So I invite you to think about ways we can build programming across the lifespan that honor our common human experiences and allows for the unique perspectives to be highlighted, asking yourself how they overlap across gender expressions, racial identities, physical abilities, religious beliefs, and all the ways, all the ways the beauty of, religion, beauty of diversity shows up in humanity as well as our natural world. I welcome the dialogue, I welcome the ideas, the thoughts, and the experiences as we take the first steps in our journey together. I am excited about the, what it can bring to our lifespan faith development programming and the deeper sense of belonging it can create in our congregation. May we hold this as our work to do together, and may it be so, amen.
1: Watching the news reports about the Venezuelan migrants who were lured by operatives of the governor of Florida and dumped in Martha's Vineyard has been heartbreaking. Although I'm not Venezuelan, I am Mexican and I recognize the cruel stunt because it has been used on me. It is a ruse carried out under the guise of offering support which makes it especially demeaning Like the uh, tracking system in my elementary and middle schools in Texas that claimed to help students learn at their own pace, but in reality was a way to segregate poor students of color like me. Or the high school counselor who helpfully discouraged me from searching and researching colleges. Honey, college is hard. And instead offered to connect me with a terrific training program for cashiers at Montgomery Wards. The abuse is racially motivated, of course, even if some of the culprits who participate turn out to be people of color. The point is to single out specific groups for isolation, grooming, and exploitation. But understanding this doesn't diminish the insidious effect that years of being undermined have had on my psyche. Although by nature, I tend to be a playful person, I am quite reclusive. The soul-crushing sense of loss and abandonment I feel when aggressions that shock my system don't even register with my white friends can be overwhelming. And when an aggression unwittingly comes from a friend, well, the whole world seems like a minefield. Feeling out of place isn't an occasional occurrence for me. It's where I live for the most part. But reaching out when you're the underdog can feel like just another setup. There is so much history that complicates our ability to connect. I honestly don't know what to do about it. (laughs) But I do know that if there is a place where connection and reconciliation have a chance of blooming, it is here. Our beautiful Unitarian Universalism invites us to enter into a responsible search for truth and meaning. That word, responsible, it makes all the difference to me. It implies that an element of care and accountability is expected in our interactions. Unitarian Universalism is born of the conviction that each of us is capable of knowing only a fragment of the whole truth. Well, that tells me that diversity is not only appreciated here, but that seeking diversity is essential to the quest for enlightenment and the purpose of our gathering and community. Here, I can expect to approach and be approached with respectful curiosity. Here, all are at once imbued with the humility of the student and the dignity of the teacher. As poet, Gwendolyn Brooks said, we are each other's harvest, each other's business, each other's magnitude and bond. I know it can be hard to show up. Each of us is broken in some specific way, but maybe that's the point of gathering. What if our brokenness can be incorporated into a, a great human mosaic, each piece fixed to the other with love, reflecting the wholeness of our one true source? I'm gonna keep showing up. I hope you do too.